0: Well, good morning, church. Jesus is our great high priest. Um, before we get into our text this morning, um, I, I do want to just say that I hope that many of you will plan uh, a few weeks out to come to our community Thanksgiving service, not because we want to try to outdo the Methodists or the Presbyterians, but because we value them, because we are part of the universal Body of Christ. And so, what an awesome opportunity to come together with other churches in our community and give thanks to our God um, for his faithfulness to us. We have a lot to be thankful for. And in the same vein, um, I I do hope that uh, that you will today remember your brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, We are one body because of a great high priest that we have. Um, We are one body in Christ. and, And so, when one member is suffering, we should We should suffer along with them, right We should intercede for them, uh, and so um, there is a a practical way that, that you can actually be involved in in potentially helping some of of, of uh, the worldwide church. Uh, we prayed for Christians in Afghanistan um, you'll notice on the back of your bulletin that not tomorrow but Monday, November the fifteenth, a week from tomorrow we're having a uh, a seminar here on campus that really anyone who can come to, um, conducted by Catholic Charities, which is the resettlement agency for Northwest Florida. Okay? And specifically, Maria from Catholic Charities is coming to talk to us about how we can help Afghans who were evacuated by the airlift okay? and who have been brought to the United States by the U.S. government. Most of them don't know Jesus yet. Um, Some do. At this point, we don't know who's who, but we have an opportunity as a county to actually receive some of them. And and actually, there is some interest, particularly in military members of our community who fought in Afghanistan, who had interpreters uh, that they were close with that were rescued, and now are being held at different uh, military bases around the country. And frankly, what we do in our church and our community actually has some bearing on that. So depending on our willingness to come out and, and learn about ways, practical ways, we could help receive them, that will actually affect how many that Catholic services tells the government we might be able to handle in our community, if that makes sense. So I want to encourage you to pray about it. Uh, if you have a heart to, uh, to be a part of it, and, and it, that may be from, I think, a very strategic way for us as a church to help long-term— would be, especially for some of you ladies, to be language partners, to help women and families that hope to follow some of these single men, uh, to, to, help, to help them learn English, just to be a friend, to, to help them learn how to live in America, how to shop at Walmart, maybe even how to drive. Um, that could be huge, not just for helping them come and, and us welp- welcoming them, but for you being able to, through a true friendship, um, share the hope that's within you, to, to share Jesus Christ. Um, and I, I pray, I think it would be awesome if we ended up getting some believers here. I, 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 there's no way for us to make that happen, um, but wouldn't that be cool? So uh, let's be praying about it, and I just want to encourage you to consider it. Uh, that's November 15th. If you sign up by tomorrow, um, we'll be able to provide a box dinner for you. So please don't put that off if this is something on your heart to, uh, to be a part of. Well, today, um, as we continue uh, in Hebrews... Um, I'm actually, as, as I looked at this, this sermon this week, I just had to kind of title it part two of Jesus, our great high priest. Um, tell you what, M- Morgan did a great job last week uh, with his first sermon uh, at Rocky, um, unpacking. And, and it's going to be a hard act to follow, to be honest with you. I, I appreciated how he demonstrated the importance of priests ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. How, when you look throughout the Old Testament, you see the absolute vitality of the work of priests. But but the function of priests is foreign to us in our evangelical American culture. Not because it isn't vital, because it's just not part of our culture. Right, we we American evangelicals who rightly believe in the priesthood of the believer may wrongly forget that we still today, right now, need a great high priest. But if if we rewind the tape of Scripture, okay, I mean, if you could just kind of you know go all the way back in your tape, if you back back to the days of like VHS, right, go all the way back. And you're going to see all kinds of priests throughout the history of God's dealing with humans. We see that they were God-appointed, and they culminated with Jesus, our great high priest. And we need him to intercede for us, which he does right now. We need him. Well, why? Why do we need, why do you need a priest Maybe some of you right now are struggling in your life with a human opponent. That there's someone in your life that is acting as an enemy, really making life hard for you. That could be somebody at work, somebody who wants your job. Uh, maybe it's a boss, someone who's making your job difficult. Might even be a family member who has become a detractor or an opponent. And, and you may be thinking, they are my worst problem. Now, now, maybe some of you, and I hope this is true for most of us, don't. A, a name didn't come to mind, okay? Uh, I hope not. Uh, for some of you, a name probably did come to mind. But maybe a name didn't come to mind. And you're like, hey, I don't, maybe hopefully your kids are thinking, well, I don't really have any enemies. Now, yeah, my brother's obnoxious sometimes, but I love him. He loves me. We kiss and make up at the end of the night of the day. Or hug and make up. Or at least, you know, fist bump and make up. I don't really have an enemy. Well, you know what we do? We all have spiritual enemies, for sure. But you know what? Your physical or your spiritual enemies are not your greatest problem. You are. You are your own worst enemy. And that's because you daily sin against a holy God. And so do I. I am my own worst enemy. Okay? The truth is, I am the worst sinner that I know. And, and, and so are you. And so you need a great high priest to make intercession to God for you. You know, we were able to sing there's joy in the house of the Lord. And there is. But it's not because God just looks away at our sin and acts like it's no big deal. It's because we have a great high priest who did something great for us and still today makes intercession for us. So we need a high priest. In fact, let's imagine for a moment life without an eternal high priest. What would that be like practically to live right now without Jesus in heaven as our high priest making intercession? Well, can you imagine every day going through your life with a guilty disposition before God? What if God, at the end of your life, did not forgive you of your sins? Or what if God said you had to pay them off yourself? Now, of course, we know from Scripture that's not possible. And it's not just because of how bad what we've done may be. If you just look, humanly speaking, at what you've, the bad stuff you've done, people, some people out there, and some of you might say, you know, I think I've done more good than bad, but that's not the deal. God is holy and perfect, right? And so our bad, our sin, is an affront against a holy God. So what if this week, one of you happened to look at porn? And God said, okay, I'm going to let you earn that one off. That's 5,000 years in hell. Or one of you this week slandered somebody. You, you slandered, you denigrated to someone else, one of God's children. And he said, that's 10,000 years of hell right there for you. And then, sure, I'll, I'll call it even after that. What if if one of us was unfaithful? What if one of you this week was unfaithful to your husband? And the judge said, okay, that's a million years in hell. What what would it be like to have that hanging over your head? To, To not know? What if, like, our Muslim friends, you couldn't even know for sure if you're going to heaven or to hell? That's their concept. They hope, they hope they can outdo it. That they can do more good than bad. That they can earn more sawab, more credit with God. But you can never know. You can never know before you face them on Judgment Day. If your eternal destiny is in heaven or hell, imagine life without a great high priest. So let's not take our great high priest for granted. So what are, what are the makings of a good high priest. And that's what we see here in the first four verses. Um, you might say the ingredients. You know, my, my two daughters like to bake cookies, and my son and I like to eat them. Actually, I confession time, I, I prefer cookie dough uh, raw. And um, my, my daughters profusely try to keep me away from it. My sister pulled a knife on me once, um, trying to keep me from her cookie dough. Um, but anyway, I digress here. That really didn't have anything to do with the sermon. Um, they like to cook, and, and they like to make stuff. Uh, and, and, and to cook well until you get really good at it, you need a cookbook, right? Because there's ingredients, there's proportions, they're making. So what are the ingredients or the makings of a high priest? And actually, Exodus chapter 28 describes the whole chapter in fine detail, the raiment of the Jewish high priest. Uh, it was actually f- uh, God's instructions for Aaron's high priestly outfit. And this is what all the high priests were to wear. The first layer was a linen, a fine linen tunic. And then on top of that, the high priest would wear a robe of blue that was held in place by a multicolored sash. And it's easy for us to kind of not understand the value of clothes in the ancient world, but, but most people only had one, maybe two pairs of clothes. Uh, incredibly rare, incredibly expensive to make. And this was the most rare and expensive uh, form of clothing you could imagine. Uh, attached to the hem of the robe, interspersed with uh, carefully embroidered pomegranates, were these little small golden bells made out of gold, pure gold, that rang musically as the priest would walk. According to verse 35 of Exodus 28, it's sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. Chew on that for a little bit here. God was very specific. Over that, over his robe of blue, he wore an ephod that served as a priestly apron. It was woven from golden threads, uh, interspersed or interwoven with purple, blue, and scarlet yarns and finely twisted linen. The ephod had shoulder pieces. Each shoulder piece had set in it a large onyx stone. And on one were six tribes, six names of the tribes of the house of Israel. On the other, six names of the tribes of the house of Israel that were etched in those stones of onyx. And they were set in gold. Fastened to the front of the ephod by golden chains was a nine-inch square breastplate that hung over the the priest's chest close to his heart. And it it had three rows of precious stones. I'm sorry, four rows of three precious stones. So 12 precious stones close to the high priest's heart. And each stone was engraved with the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you can kind of get the picture of what's going on here, what all this represents. Finally, the priest wore a turban on his head that was made of fine linen with a plate of pure gold over his forehead that read, Holy to the Lord. You get the picture. This was a representative of the people. And the point of all that garb was that God is holy. Holy. Not just anybody can walk in his presence. You had to be, one person representing the people had to be consecrated. Had to, had to go through a very, very specific ritual and, and very specific raiment to be able to approach God's holy presence. That was the point. Morgan reminded us last week that on the Day of Atonement, we learned from the Mishnahs that actually there was a scarlet um, rope around the high priest's ankle just in case he was struck dead by God so they could get the corpse out of the Holy of Holies where no one could enter. So God wasn't kidding around and they understood that this is a holy God they're approaching. And and their problem was they were sinful people just as we are. Now man looks on the outward appearance and, and imagine what it would be like. The sun gleaming off the gold and the the linen and all these colors of this high priest as he solemnly walks into the temple. All the congregation of the people waiting outside praying as he walks in to to make atonement for their sins. Imagine that scene, right? Well, remember, God looks on that word appearance. I'm sorry, man looks on that word appearance. That's what they saw. God looks at the heart. And so, what we actually see here in our text this morning is heart preparation, heart makings of a high priest. And so we read For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So here we see three things. We, we see that a high priest was to be a representative of the people. He, his job was to represent the people before God and to, make, to offer sacrifices for their sins. So there was solidarity with, with humans, we see in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So a high priest was indeed to be a man of the people, representing the people to a holy God. He was also to be gentle, and, and aware of his own sinfulness. Look at verse 2 and 3. He, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. On, on the Day of Atonement, the priest, before he went into the Holy of Holies had to first offer a bowl for his own sins and for that of his family before he could represent the people before God and offer sacrifices for their sins. According to the, the Mishnah, if you hear me talking about the Mishnah, all that is, it, this is a written record of oral Jewish traditions. Okay? So, so it's not scripture, but according to Jewish tradition, this was the prayer of the high priest for himself. Before he would go in and make representation for the people. He would pray, O oh God, I have committed iniquity and transgressed and sinned before thee, I and my house, and the children of Error and thy holy people. Oh God, forgive, I pray, the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed, and transgressed and sinned before thee in my house, and in, in my house. I in my house, we've done this. So he was to be gentle. With the people that he represented. Recognizing that he himself was a sinner. And he was to be humble. That was part of the gentleness. Because he didn't step up on his own and say, hey, pick me. It wasn't wasn't like he had a thousand priests all vying for this high priest position. Okay, he was to be called by God. Verse 4 says, and no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Maybe you remember the fate of Korah and his 250 followers in Numbers 16, after they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and they elevated themselves to the position of of priests by actually taking incense wrongly and offering it to God, counterfeit incense. So so what did God say? Did he say, well, yeah, you know, all you know, you're only human, they're only human, you're all the same. No, he he actually opened up the ground and swallowed them. Saul in 1 Samuel 13 grew impatient, waiting for Samuel. Samuel wasn't coming. Saul needed a sacrifice offered uh, so he could have victory in battle. And, And so Samuel's delayed. So Saul, in his impatience, took the Role of a priest and offered a burnt offering to God, and because of that, God rejected Saul as his appointed king. And Saul's glide scope after that was just a a disaster, right? From bad to worse, until David came, and and rescued uh, the kinghood. So I I would submit to you, and and I want I I just want to say this: I, I I'm talking to a few pastors in this room. A few of you have either served as pastors or serve. Our elders in our church are pastors. Okay? Uh, biblically, we, we don't have time right now to go into all this, but, but the, the, the word for elder and the word for pastor in the New Testament is used synonymously. Okay? And, and so um, I hope, we, we have, so we have a few pastors besides myself in this room, but I would be thrilled if the Lord would call some of you young people who are here, to be pastors one day. Or, or missionaries, people who go out there and bring the gospel to the unreached and, and train pastors. You can't be a missionary, by the way, unless you're a church planting missionary, unless you're pastorally qualified, because you're actually functioning as a pastor and raising up and training and overseeing pastors until they're ready to serve on their own. So I would submit to you, so for you folks who may one day serve as pastors or missionaries uh, who, or who do right now, I would submit to you that we are not priests. We need to remember that. We are not priests, but we should share these qualities that we've just seen in a high priest. We should be called by God, not by ourselves. We should be humble and, and gentle, mindful that we are sinners. I, I tell you, I personally shudder at the thought of trying to bring you God's word without having first confessed my sins. So I, I, find, I find this privilege I have is actually helpful as a means of sanctification in my own life. Um, because it, maybe I'm weak enough to where I left to myself. I might not be quite as vigilant to confess sin before Sunday morning. Um, but I dare not step up here with an unconfessed sin. That, that at least that the Lord has revealed to me, and I ask Him to to show me my my sin. But we need to be mindful of our sins. That 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 man, I don't have the right to stand here because of my righteousness. It's simply because of the righteousness of my great High Priest, Jesus. But we sh- so we should be humble and gentle. So, elders, fellow pastors, let's be humble and gentle, and and. Never forget that admonition. And we need to be devoted to prayer for the souls that God has entrusted to our spiritual care. That's a requirement. It's part of the vow that we've taken. To be devoted to prayer for the souls that God has entrusted to our spiritual care. According to the first few verses of our text this morning, those, those ingredients are the makings of a high priest. Humility. Being devoted To prayer and being called by God. So let's talk about the makings of our great high priest. And that's the whole point here, right? The the mystery man, the writer of Hebrews, he is comparing the greatest uh, spiritual leader, physical spiritual leader they had in the old covenant, the high priest, to Jesus, the great high priest. And he's showing us how Jesus surpasses them in every way. In fact, he fulfills the Aaronic priesthood. And so first here we see that Jesus is indeed called by God. Verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now this is a a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, which the Hebrews understood was a royal psalm. Now, now when, we, when we read this, that you are my son, God speaking, God appointing Jesus, God calling Jesus to his station as a, as a royal priest, we need to be careful that we not fall into uh, a couple sirens. One of those sirens would be when we, we hear that word begotten. Begotten. Some, some, some folks, uh, some of our, our, our Jehovah's Witness friends, for instance, in our Mormon friends, take this to mean that God the Father created Jesus. In other words, Jesus did not exist uh, from eternity past. Okay, so God the Father, by being the Father, He actually, by, he actually made Jesus. Um, and, and, and of course, according to Scripture, uh, uh, the, the weight of Scripture, we see that is not in any way true. That's a wrong way of looking at begotten. In fact, the Nicene Creed, uh, going back to the first centuries of Christianity, makes it clear Begotten, not made. Jesus was as the same essence as from the Father. So what we see here is that God appointed Jesus to be a priest and to be a king. Jesus was appointed to come and to become fully man and to become the Lord of Lords, but to represent us as our high priest's. Now we see here in verse 6 that there was another mysterious priest king in the Old Testament. Look at verse 6. As he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now maybe you're reading this and you're like, what? Who who in the world is Melchizedek? Now, Now Melchizedek actually shows up in three verses of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, 18 through 20. And he's just this mysterious priest king. Okay, And he shows up, and and he's involved in in Abraham's life. Abraham tithes everything to him from a a, a conquest that he makes. And and then he's quoted one time in Psalm 110.4, and that's it. So you've got four verses of the Old Testament that talk about Melchizedek. And then suddenly, the author of Hebrews, Mystery Man, seizes on Melchizedek. And he refers to him several times in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. And then in the whole chapter 7 is all about Melchizedek and how Melchizedek points to Jesus. And so I'm going to try to restrain myself from talking a whole lot about Melchizedek today. You just can't have to wait a couple weeks until we get into Hebrews chapter 7. But may, let me make just a couple of quick points. One, his order was different from Aaron. Melchizedek was not a Jew, right? He was the priest of Salem, which may be... The, and it was, it was an ancient pagan place, and it may be where the city of Jerusalem came to be later. But you know what? God is outside the box. Let's not put God in a box. He had faithful priests, and Melchizedek was one of them, but he was completely outside the whole order of Aaron. He was well before Aaron's time. He also, we, we read as we get into chapter 7, and we see this alluded to here that Melchizedek's order is eternal. And I'm going to try to unpack that for you here in a couple of weeks. What in the world does that mean? Okay, I'm not going to even uh, try to start right now. I just have to kind of hold your curiosity. But his order is eternal. And what that points to is Jesus' order of priesthood was not temporal, but eternal. And what that means is that Jesus is still our high priest right now. Not just 2,000 years ago while he walked on the earth and did act as a priest. We'll see, that, see how he did that in a minute. But even right now, he is our high priest and we need him today. And he is available to us. So Jesus was and is appointed, called by God the Father. God the Father. And Jesus is humble. We, we've... Looked at this text many times, but in Philippians chapter 2, we, we see, we read about the humility of Jesus. Verse 8 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the humble, the perfectly humble, the only perfectly humble high priest, and he's also gentle. Last week we read in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin so this the, the gentleness of the ironic high priest was fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ and he to this very day is gentle and approachable and ready to help us in our time of need And Jesus is faithful in representing the people, in executing his priestly duties. One place that I'd like to invite you to turn where we see this in the very life of Jesus Christ is John chapter 17, what we refer to as the high priestly prayer. Turn in your Bible with me, if you will, to John chapter 17, in which Jesus prays for his people, for his disciples who were with him then, and for us, his disciples, today. We see here in verse 3 that Jesus Christ prayed to his Father that his disciples would truly know him. He said in this, in his prayer, is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus prayed that his Father would Preserve, excuse me, would preserve them. Look at verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so he, he prayed, not only that God would, would, um, would, enable us to know him, and not only that God would preserve us, but he prayed that God would, would, would protect us, would protect his people spiritually. Look at verse 14 through 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prayed to his father that that his people would live in unity. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we see Jesus in his life offering up prayers and supplications for his people including us today. And that's what we read about in verse 7. In the days back to Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 4. In the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers. I'm sorry Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, verse 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now Jesus was able to represent us because he walked in our shoes as a real man, a a true human who who suffered categorically in every way that we suffer. In fact, we, we, we saw last week, that he was tempted in every way that we are. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. It might be hard for you to really believe that Jesus could have really been tempted. As the very son of God. And yet scripture says he was. But he didn't give in to it. So you may think, well that, you know, is that real temptation? Yes it is. In fact that's more temptation than we've ever borne. Because we normally and regularly and spectacularly give in to temptation. Do we not? But when you resist, temptation gets stronger. And harder. And so he fought that fight. And he endured suffering and weakness as a real man. And he suffered in every way that we do, and we read here, he did it with loud cries and tears. And, and nowhere do we see his emotional agony more than at Gethsemane. When he cried out to his father. In in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 14, verse 33, we read, And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Can you imagine being sorrowful to the point of perhaps dying from your sorrow itself? See, Jesus was a true man, and his flesh wanted a different way than the mission that God had appointed for him the cross. The very wrath of God being poured out on him. The weight of our sins, the sins, the the cumulative sins of every human being on earth who puts their faith in him, every one of those sins was laid on his shoulders. And such that God looked at his son and for three hours on the cross saw him as, as ugly. And he knew that was coming. It was beyond just the nails and the shame and the suffocation in front of a jeering crowd. It was the separation and the judgment from his own father that awaited him. And his flesh wanted a different way. And yet Jesus Christ surrendered his will to his father. And he went through it. Went through with it. He endured. And so we read here that he was heard because of his reverence in verse seven. Now, I am not heard by God because of my reverence, and neither are you. We're heard by God because of Jesus's reverence, because he is our high priest. He he did all this for us, and he stands as our representative in our place. And we see here that God saved him from death. Now, that doesn't mean God saved him from death on the cross. It means that God saved him from death itself by raising Jesus from the dead so that he should overcome and defeat death and so that at the name of that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God the Father. He's our Savior and he's our hero. and That's what Hebrews is all about. Look to Jesus. He's your hero. Follow him. We read in verse 8 Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, there's a simple great truth here, but there's some deep waters in these verses as well to try to understand. Like, like, how can Jesus learn obedience? How can perfection become more perfect? And yet, what we see here is is not not an implying or an implication that Jesus had ever been disobedient or imperfect in his past. The, the Bible and frankly even the book of Hebrews are, are clear that Jesus was always perfect. So what does this mean? That he learned obedience. Dr. Moeller explains, I quote, This verse highlights his humanity. As Jesus experienced the trials associated with human existence, he learned how to obey his father in them. Suffering, suffering taught Jesus how to submit his will to his father's will. By faithfully enduring the suffering ordained by the father's plan to redeem sinners through his own blood, Jesus learned obedience. In other words, Jesus, as the perfect preexistent God the Son, became truly man, truly walked in our shoes, and he truly went through with it and functionally obeyed as a human for us who have never truly, fully obeyed. We read in verse nine, and being made perfect, being made perfect, Jesus being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There, there's that word Melchizedek again, right? And be made perfect. Well, Jesus was already perfect, right? I mean, John the Baptist, three years before, had cried out, behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, the perfect sacrificial Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So he was already perfect. How could he be made perfect? Well, I think you could paraphrase that phrase, being made perfect, by saying, when he completed his mission, When when that which he had been called to do had been perfectly fulfilled. When he fulfilled and completed his mission. When his suffering was completed, his death. And he said, it is finished. And he had accomplished our salvation. At that point, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, wait a minute. It doesn't say for all who believe in him. It says for all who obey him. I thought we were saved by faith, not by works. Well, let me just encourage you, as a, every one of you is a theologian, whether you recognize that or not, right? We've got all these little bits, all these little puzzle pieces of our systematic theology. To make those pieces fit, never give in to the temptation to cut off one little knob of that puzzle piece to make it fit, right? We never master the Bible. It masters us. And so it is true that we are not saved by faith plus works, but true faith works. True faith bears fruit. If the Holy Spirit has given you a new heart and is alive in you, there will be a change. There will be an orientation towards obedience as such that we see authors of Scripture being Being superimposed or being inspired by the Holy Spirit, summarizing or equating faith with obedience. Christians seek to obey God. And when we don't, we repent and we confess. And praise God that we have a compassionate high priest who is interceding for us. So true faith follows. It obeys Christ. All right. So let's stop and just kind of look at the big picture here of these 10 verses. Why all this talk about Jesus as our great high priest? Well, Mystery Man wants his hearers, the recipients of this letter. Remember, this is written to a church. And it was a Jewish church, we believe, in the Gentile world. Storm-tossed, tempted to revert to their cultural Judaism Would have made their lives a whole lot easier. Tempted to backslide and take their eyes off the ball. To take their eyes off Jesus Christ. He wants them to endure in faith. And to not fall back to their cultural traditions of Judaism. Instead of looking at and enduring in a living faith. In their Lord, Savior, and Hero Jesus Christ. And so Aaron and all the high priests that had descended and followed Aaron's line of priesthood. They all pointed to Jesus. Now, I don't think that very many of you, maybe Bill Latham, he really loves, you know, Judaism. I'm just kidding, brother. I know you're you're a Christian through and through helping us better see Christ through Judaism, right? But I don't think any of us are tempted to like revert to cultural Judaism, all right? I just don't think that's a temptation for us. So what kind of cultural philosophies are we tempted to fall back to when we're stressed by the storms of life. Maybe we are tempted to slide back into religious formalism instead of Christ. Maybe you have a background as such. And so there's that temptation to put your faith in religious formalism instead of Jesus. Maybe it's something very different. As Americans, maybe we're tempted by comfort and by materialism. And, and so when, when things get really hard, we get a bad diagnosis or, or um, have, have, have a storm at work, we're tempted to go buy stuff. It'll, it'll make you feel better, all the commercials say. Or maybe we're more focused on our individual rights that we see being stripped away. And, and we're more upset about that. Then we're focused on Christ and his mission right which matters more to you so draw near to christ be reminded of his mission today hebrews 7:25 says consequently he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them did you catch that he lives to make intercession for them, that's like present tense. That's right now. The humility of Christ. The gentleness of Christ. The faithfulness to his calling. Right now, if, if you wonder, what is Jesus doing right now? Like, where is he? I've been asked that question by a Muslim friend. Like, where is Jesus right now? Like, is he walking on the earth somewhere? Is he like the Mahdi? Mis, you know, mysterious, hidden one day. You know, he'll be, he'll be shown one day on earth. No. He is... At the right hand of God the Father living to make intercession for you and for me. And we need him every day. As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, I'd like to invite you to remember our final point. And that's point number three this morning of the sermon. And that is this. And this is why Jesus is so much greater than Aaron or any of the high priests in his line. Our high priest made himself the sacrifice. Like the Jewish high priests, Jesus was called by God to intercede and to atone for the sins of his people. But unlike the high priests of the old covenant who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus was the priest who sacrificed himself. You don't get any greater than that. In verse 8 and 9 again, we see, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How did he do that? How did that happen exactly? Well, we read in 2 Corinthians 521 that for our sake he that is God made him that is Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and that's why we can gather together in joy in the house of the Lord and worship him not because we're pretty good not because God doesn't really care about our sin because he's just so gracious that he can kind of just pardon us and look the other way. Not because God's so casual that he just lets people prance into his presence just as they are, but because we have a great high priest who died for us, who offered himself in our place. He accomplished our eternal, sacrifice, our, our eternal salvation by offering himself as the sacrifice. No other high priest would do this for his people. I mean, they'd do a lot. They'd risk their life on the Day of Atonement. But none of them would lay down themselves on an altar and say, light me up. And no other sacrifice could save us for eternity but the blood of the great high priest, the perfect man, the hero, the Son of God who was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So I want you in your mind's eye to go back. We talked about the high priest and all of his raiments at the beginning of the sermon. And I want you to imagine the high priest in all of that majestic clothing. Going into the temple to make atonement for the sins of his people to God. Now I want you to imagine in your mind our great high priest. In his bloody rags and with his crown of thorns the blood gushing from his brow, going to Calvary, struggling under the weight of the cross to make atonement for our sins. And I want you to imagine him now in glory. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, the glorious vestments of the Aaronic high priest have always been understood as being emblematic of the ministry of the ultimate high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see him resplendent in the glorious white light of a thousand suns in eternity? He bears our names on his shoulders and thus shows his infinite compassion for us. He has borne all our sins in his own priestly body on the tree. In his solidarity with us, he bears our present burdens as well. We are always on his heart. Perhaps as he prays for us, he places a nail pierced hand over the precious stones and presses them close. Though seated at the right hand of the Father, the golden bells constantly ring as he ministers on our behalf. And his crown, holy to the Lord, will be our crown because that will be the eternal outcome of his work. So, brothers and sisters and friends, if you don't know him, I want to invite you today. To simply bow before him, repent from your sins, and believe that Jesus Christ is the great high priest and the son of God who died on the cross for you, for your sins, and rose from the dead. And today is the priest king, the true priest king. And so, as the writer of Hebrews told us last week, In verse 16 of chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So let's do that together right now as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of your Son to become man to represent us, to live a meek and lowly life and to bear our sin on his shoulders on the cross. We thank you that you have risen him from the dead, that he is today King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet he's not just taking in all the glory, he is living to make intercession for us. So Lord, help us to live with gratitude for our high priest. Lord, may we talk to him daily. May we be quick to confess our sins, to recognize the gift we have of knowing you, of eternal life because of his work. So may our lives be that of praise to you. And Lord, right now, as we quiet our hearts and our spirits, I pray that your spirit would reveal to us any sins that we haven't yet confessed, that we'd be quick to do so as we prepare our hearts to take communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Let me encourage you just to keep your head bowed.